Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The Dog Show is brought to you in part by The Natural Pet Pantry. Raw and cooked food diets for dogs and cats. You can find them online at naturalpetpantry.com. We've got a great show today. A guest I am very honored to have on the show because he's the author of one of the first dog books that I read when I was in high school, circa 1994. Uh, which was called The Intelligence of Dogs. And he has a more recent book out uh, called The Modern Dog. Uh, Dr. Stanley Corrin is on the show with us today. How Dogs Have Changed People and Society and Improved Our Lives. So we're going to be talking to him in just uh, just a minute. Hi, Eric. Hey, Julie. How's it going? Uh, It's going great. Yeah, it's a wonderful Wednesday and uh, can't complain. Yeah. How about you? (laughs) I'm doing well. I'm really excited for this interview. I think we're going to have to, if Dr. Corrin would agree to come back in maybe a couple months, I'm going to have to break this book down into a few interviews because it's just... It's just loaded with really cool information. Well, my my first question, of course, is, uh, is the modern dog different than, uh, you know, last week's dog or, you know... (laughs) Last week. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. Like the, the dog from the 60s. Is he different than the yeah, dog from the it's day? A, I mean, it's a good question. We evolve. We wear different fashions and whatnot. And yeah. clearly, well, dogs are wearing different fashions because of For their sure. owners. Fashion but, at all, yes. really. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's bring Dr. Corin on air with us today. Welcome to the Dog Talk Show, Dr. Corin. Hi there. Glad Hi. to be here. Thanks for being here. So as I said... Um, you were the your book the the intelligence of dogs was one of the first books that I read when I was in high school and just interested in dog behavior and uh, I'm just thrilled to have you on the show and to talk about your new book the modern dog and uh it's there's just so much in it so I'm I'm thinking we're probably going to have to break this book down in a few shows so hopefully you'll be willing to come back on the show in a little bit and we can talk more about other parts of the book because we're, we're not going to get through it in an hour, that's for sure. Okay. <laughs> so why don't you, you know, so Dr. Stanley Corrin is a professor of psychology at the University of British Columbia and a renowned expert in dog behavior and dog-human interactions. And you live in Vancouver, B.C., is that right? That's right. All right. So how did you, just a question about you first. How did your interest in dog-human interactions and dog behavior start? Because I know you've written a lot of books and you've been around for a while and and you teach psychology, but where did the dog part come in? Well, actually, you know, I've, I've always uh, grown up around dogs and um, um, I can remember, this is going to, this is going to date me uh, very much, but um, uh, there used to be a uh, Lassie radio show yep. on once oh. a week, uh-huh. and um, and I would, you know, I I I loved the show, right? You know, and uh, Lassie would come in uh, to the room and she'd bark, you know, ruff ruff ruff, and uh, the mom of the time would say, "Oh my God, you know, I told Timmy to stay away from the tractor, and now he's gotten himself in trouble." Quick, Lassie. You know, run over to the Smith place. Old Doc Connors is there, is there <laughs> and bring help. Yeah. And Lassie would go rough, rough, rough. 
and would run off to go, you know, and, and, and of course, you know, I couldn't figure out what she was saying, and, and I would listen to the barks, and, and, you know, we all knew, of course, that she'd get to the Smith place, and Doc Connors would, would recognize what she was saying. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my, at that time, I, the dog which I had was a little beagle by the name of uh, Skippy, and mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I was very fond of him, but, you know, I mean, I understood when he wagged his tail a little bit, and I, you know, understood when he was indicating he was hungry, which was all the time. Um, and and I really wanted to be able to, to understand dogs. And, um, and so I, um, um, you know, was, was talking to my grandfather at that point in time, and and mentioned this to him. You know, I really wanted to, to be able to to uh, understand what dogs were saying and, and be able to communicate with them and that sort of thing. And he did what he always did in those circumstances, is he told a story. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, he said, you know, King Solomon had three rings, and he had a really fine gold ring, which, you know, gave him uh, victory over all of his enemies. And, and he had a... Uh, 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 a fine uh, platinum ring, which gave him uh, victory over uh, any of the evil spirits. And he had, uh, but uh, um, after he had built the temple, God asked him what he wanted, and he said, you know, he wanted a ring to be able to understand the animals. And mm-hmm. so it was all cast on, 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 on one night, and it was a very crude silver ring, but it allowed him to to understand the animals. And when Solomon died, that ring, which, you know, God said was a special gift to Solomon, so he couldn't take it back, uh, was hidden in a house with many doors. And, you know, and so I thought to myself, oh, well, you know, I'll never find that ring. And then, you know, just the way things happened, you know, I was listening to another radio show at that time, and they were interviewing Einstein. And, uh, he was then a professor at, at, at Princeton, and Einstein referred to science being a house with many doors. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, that was the secret my grandfather was trying to tell me, was that if I studied science, I would be able to understand my dogs. And mm. that's how it got started. So. Mm. Well, the uh, the first part of your book, there's I always appreciate new information and there's a few things, a few little topics that I want to talk to you about today. But the first part of your book, um, you talk about uh, that at the very, actually very end of this chapter, talking about Neanderthals versus humans and and how dogs, if as you say, if this scientific speculation is correct, while it may appear that humans have controlled the dog's evolution, dogs may well have played a major role in determining the evolutionary path of humans. In essence, dogs decided which of the species early humanoids would control this world, and the Neanderthals lost out. And mm-hmm. the reason being that Neanderthals as a species didn't connect with dogs in at all, in the, at all whereas nope. Cro-Magnon pre-humans or humans did. That's right. And, and, and it's really very interesting. I mean, you know, anthropologists... Uh, you know, run around sort of tearing their hair out because, you know, they take a look at Neanderthal, and Neanderthal was, you know, was 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 a really strong critter, sort of stronger than the than the the, the group which sort of emerged from Cro-Magnon, and uh, and he had a big brain, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there's evidence that he had some social, uh, you know, interactions that could make tools and, you know, had some religious beliefs. You know, so he, he, had, he had all the things which, which one would suggest might, in fact, allow him to survive. Um, and, and, and why did this sort of weaker group uh, survive uh, was always the question. And, and it's now becoming clear that, that one good possibility is, is that um, Neanderthals never formed a, uh, uh, any sort of association with, with uh, dogs. You see, you have to understand what was happening at that point in time. This was a pretty dangerous uh, era. You know, lots of you know big animals going around, and and, and probably you know marauding bands of of, of, of humans. Uh, and um, uh, dogs uh, began to associate with man by sort of you know hanging out outside the village. I mean, the, the bottom line is that uh, um, primitive man was a good hunter, but he was basically a slob. Yeah, and. So what he would do is uh, any unused parts of, uh, of the animals which he hunted, he would sort of toss outside uh, the village. And, you know, the, the, the great-grandfathers of dogs sort of looked at this stuff and said, you know, well, you know, this is a free buffet. Uh, why go hunting? And so they'd sort of hang around over there. And Primitive Man was perfectly willing to to put up with having him around because, you know, he, he ate this stuff and so that, that kept down the vermin and the smell and that sort of thing. But there was a, there was a second benefit, and that benefit was that um, uh, they began to view that area as their territory. So if a, if, if a wild beast or, or strangers arrived, uh, they would set up a commotion. And that gave uh, an early warning function mm-hmm. uh, for... Uh, uh, for primitive men, that was enough time to you know to rally a defense and that sort of thing. And after a while, you know, somebody came up with the notion: well, you know, if a dog hanging around outside the village is a, a you know, can can serve as an alarm for things happening uh, to the village, then a dog inside my house can serve as an alarm if anything's going to happen there. Mm-hmm. And so we brought the dogs in. Um, so. Uh, already now you can see that there's a bit of a survival function because the Neanderthals are not going to have that early warning function. But then the Ice Age hit. And uh, basically what happened was that uh, Neanderthals, uh, you know, were big, you know, uh, uh, men, and they hunted really big animals. They used basically spears and axes and and that sort of thing. And And they would hunt for the really big uh, animals and at killing one of those animals would keep a village for a week or so, um, uh, you know, quite happily. Uh, but then, when the ice age came in, those big animals began to die off, and uh, Cro-Magnon apparently uh, developed the the bow. And the thing about the bow is, uh, you know, an arrow usually does not kill; it wounds, um, and that then allows you to track down the animal and finally kill it. Um, and you could use it for much, much smaller animals. And it turns out that the dog is absolutely perfectly suited for that kind of hunting because, you know, you wound the animal over there and the dog will pursue it and pull it down for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so here we had two, ex, two uh, ways in which dog was going to help the survival. First of all, he was going to, to uh, you know, protect the village uh, by sounding an alarm and second of all, help gather food um, it, during these really hard times. And uh, that seems to be, you know, uh, uh, part of what um, gave 
this particular line of humanoids uh, the advantage. I mean, later on, um, when they developed animal husbandry, so, you know, uh, they became incredibly vital at that point mm-hmm. in time because one man and a dog uh, could control, you know, a herd of sheep or cattle or whatever else, which would would take 10 men to, to control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really... Uh, Really very interesting. We, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back with Dr. Stanley Corin, author of The Modern Dog, uh, we're going to talk about um, another part of your book, which sort of goes along here, is the evolution of the gun dog, which I thought was very interesting. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes with the Dog Talk Show on Alternative Talk 1150. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Cornerstone Home Lending in Duval, we cover the world of animals. This week, July 14th, it's a Dr. Nels Sunday. Dr. Nels Rasmussen from Nels Healing Ministry joins us in the studio. He's a chiropractor and a very gifted best bioenergetic synchronization technique practitioner, and he's got a new plan for doing remote healings on the show. So plan to give us a call. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Want a faster metabolism? Desperate for more energy throughout the day? Food is our most powerful medicine, and on Passionate Nutrition Radio, I'll answer your burning nutrition questions and offer real solutions for your family. On Passionate Nutrition Radio, you'll learn how to transform how you look and feel with the foods that you eat. My name is Jennifer Adler, and I'm a nutritionist, chef, and founder of Passionate Nutrition, a nutrition practice with six locations throughout the greater Puget Sound area. Join me on Passionate Nutrition Radio for a weekly serving of nutrition wisdom. Learn more at PassionateNutrition.com. That's Passionate Nutrition every Friday at noon. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior training and nutrition specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Feed your mind and your body and spirit will follow. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to the Dog Talk Show. I'm your host, Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150. And we're back today with author Stanley Corin of The Modern Dog, How Dogs Have Changed People and Society and Improved Our Lives. Welcome back, Dr. Corin. Glad to be here. So um, we're talking a little bit about way, way back and how it's really interesting that one of the main factors of why humans evolved and Neanderthals did not and went extinct was because humans, the Cro-Magnons at the time, had formed a partnership with dogs and the benefits of that and 
you know, how that pretty much got them through the Ice Age and uh, just such an interesting topic. (laughs) And uh, so another part of moving along in time of the evolution of dogs was the evolution of the gun dog and basically starting with hounds. Um, And it seems like hounds were kind of the early, you know, greyhounds and the sight hounds and stuff back in Egyptian times that they seem to be some of the earliest breeds. That's right. Actually, the the guess is that the greyhound was the was the first really separately selected breed. Uh, um, we have uh, uh, all sorts of evidence that uh, uh, greyhounds were were looked pretty much the way they did today, except mm-hmm. maybe for the way they carry their tails. They tended to carry their tails a little bit higher. And that would uh, explain why greyhounds are universal blood donors for dogs, because they were one of the first. It, it, yeah, it could be, and and it's it's certainly the case that this has been recognized for a long time because the very term greyhound is is a mistranslation. It comes from the German, which is Bruhund, mm-hmm. which really means old or ancient dog, mm. um, and they really were. I mean, you know, um, we it, it, somebody gave me a, um, a a wonderful reproduction of a uh, of a statue of of two uh, greyhounds, uh, you know, sitting. Um, and it was it was a reproduction of something which was done 2,500 years ago during the Greek Golden Era, mm-hmm. and and they look absolutely identical to the same greyhounds that you would see walking down the street today. Hmm. See the, the the thing which you were talking about about the about the hunting dogs is really, you know, one of those fascinating things which helps to prove that you know God may have created man, but man really created dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and and one of the things is you know. Uh, when we started, uh, one of your colleagues had said, "You know, well, what's the difference between the modern dog and the you know the earlier dogs?" Well, in fact, dogs are continually changing. Um, if you look at, at 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 for example something like a Cairn Terrier, and you look at him from you know the the turn of last century, and you look at today's Cairn, it looks totally different. Mm. Um, and we're constantly uh, changing the shape and the behavior of the dogs to fit our lifestyles and even to fit our technology. And that's, that's the beauty of sort of what, what, the, what the hunting dog is all about. See, the earliest uh, um, hunting dogs were the hounds. They mm-hmm. were either the sight hounds, like the greyhounds, which ran things down, mm-hmm. or the scent hounds, which, you know, tracked them. And the trick was that these things, you know, if it was small game, they just pull it down, and all the hunter had to do was to get there, and you know, before the dogs ate it all. Um, and uh, if it was large game, then it would, they would sort of hold it at bay, and, and the hunters could come and kill it. Um, but then what happened is we began to develop, uh, you know, better, better hunting instruments. So you know, we began to develop sort of the muzzle loading um, musket. Now. You know that was an improvement, but it still took time. I mean, you had to, you know, for each shot, you know, you had to uh, pour in the powder and drop in the bowl and tamp things, and you know, uh, so it took maybe thirty seconds or something like that to, to, you know, to to reload, and then you got a shot which was maybe, if you're really lucky, good for about fifty yards. Um, um, and uh, so basically, we needed a dog then, which was would detect the game, which would detect a bird or something like that, 
but would move very slowly and quietly. And once it detected the game, it would just hold in place until the, you know, the guy with that clumsy musket would get close enough to make that one shot that he had mm-hmm. uh, work. And so that's when we developed pointers, and they, you know, they, they're really quite wonderful. But they move slowly and silently, and and um, and then hold in position, sort of staring at where they think the bird was. Then we began to develop the, you know, the the the, the guns which would load a little bit faster. Um, and so uh, we developed setters. Now setters move much more swiftly, and you, you know, it, it's usual to to hunt with setters in pairs because they'll freeze staring at the bush where they think the bird is. Um, and if you sight down the heads of the two dogs, you could sort of triangulate to find out exactly where the bird is and still get very very close. Um, and and then we developed the really good, you know, the the shotguns which were capable of you know knocking down birds at a at a distance. Um, and uh, so we developed the spaniels, and spaniels just, you know, they quarter totally undisciplined hunters. It's mm-hmm. wonderful, sort of, mm-hmm. sort of, sort of working behind spaniels, and they'll flush the game, you know, and and it's very exciting, uh, uh, and then they'll retrieve it for you, obviously, at the end. But then the industrial revolution comes in, and the industrial revolution starts taking away all of those good hunting lands, so that the hunt, so that you know, uh, basically. That's all being turned into farmland. Uh, people are moving into the cities, and the things are being turned into factories and that sort of thing. So the only place where the hunters could hunt then was really in scrap land, which was not, you know, which wasn't desirable for other purposes, marshy land and that kind of thing. So that changed the nature of hunting, and also we changed the nature of dogs to fit that. So that now, for example, uh, we would go out and build blinds and wait for the ducks to fly over. Uh, so you needed a dog to, you know, who would sit very quietly and not make any kind of commotion. Um, and then when you knock down a bird, he would, you know, go through the cold water and stuff and, and, and uh, pick it up. So we, we developed the retrievers. Um, and the retrievers really are sort of very attentive to us. They're very quiet and, you know, very focused and that sort of thing. And then, uh, you know, fewer and fewer ducks began to, you know, we began to sort of, you know, weed them down. So so the newest invention in the hunting dog is the Nova Scotia duck tolling retriever. And, you know, his, his uh, task is the following. You know, he's a small dog. He's a small little red and white dog. Uh, and his task is to run up and down along the shore and make a commotion, spin around and act absolutely crazy. Um, and the ducks, you know, look at that and say, what, what, what the blazes is going on over there? So they fly over to get closer to see what happens. And, um, you know, they get within the hunter's range, and the hunter, you know, knocks them down, and then the dog turns into a proper little retriever. So, uh, you know, I mean, it would be very interesting. I mean, I always wonder, you know, in the next, you know, two or three hundred years, you know, what our hunting dogs are going to look like. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, carry lasers around with them right. or something. Now, the, the behavior of the duck toller was modeled after that of a fox or foxes. Isn't that right? Where they would, the ducks well, would... would... You know, that, that's how it started. It started by people noticing that if a fox was sort of, you know, twirling around and acting uh, wonky, and uh, uh, that the ducks would, would come closer or swim closer or that sort of thing. And actually, some foxes would do that to set up an ambush. So one fox would act... Uh, you know, uh, spooky, and the ducks would get closer, and the other fox, its mate, would be, you know, in ambush. Um, 
and and it was observing that, yeah. Which and 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 that's the reason why they made them little red and white dogs. They didn't know what was really attracting the, the birds, so mm-hmm. they made them look sort of foxy. So they're sort of foxy colored and have a bushy tail with a with a white flash at the end. Yeah. of it, that sort of thing. And you have a toller, right? Yep, yep, yeah. yep. I have an old toller. Yeah. Uh, he's a, he's he's a nice dog, uh, but of course, you know, by retriever standards, he's very very active and very very noisy. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and, and and every now and then it drives my wife slightly crazy. Um, and, and you know, I have to remind her, you know, well, that's what he was bred to do. If he wasn't, you know, spinny and noisy, then he would be, he would be his breed. Yeah. I have a, a friend of mine who lives in Vermont, has a duck toller who he was working with, um, you know, trying to train him to bring, bring the ducks back. He was using a decoy. Mm-hmm. And then he took the dog out hunting, and I think the, the first time he actually got a duck and then he sent the dog out the dog's name's Otis and Otis brought back the decoy not the real duck <laughs> so <laughs> yes yes training can be quite specific yeah. times. that's the reason why you know later on in in training retrievers you usually flip over to to uh you know dead ducks um now, why is it that, so going back to, like, uh, Labrador retrievers, you know, the labs have this this reputation for being that type of dog that will just sit patiently, and that's why they make such good service dogs and and that sort of thing. But there's, I've heard people say that there's the, there's the English labs, which are the ones with the big blocky heads and they're stockier, and then there's the field-bred American labs that are actually quite the opposite. Well, actually... Uh there are uh, there are enough flavors of Labrador retrievers that you know you, we can almost start dividing the breed up. Um, uh, initially, the Labrador retrievers were supposed to be pocket retrievers, um, so they were supposed to be no larger than about twenty two inches at the shoulder. So mm-hmm. they were dogs which you know you, you 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 kept in the house with you, you know, and 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 that sort of thing. Um, and. Uh, what started to happen is that different people decided that they wanted, um, you know, different aspects uh, of the dog. So, so uh, in, in in the UK, um, uh, the houses are a lot smaller, and uh, <coughs> part hunting season is shorter, and uh, the demands on a dog are to be, you know, particularly quiet. So they started. To scale the labs down. So as you said, they're blockier, but they're also shorter. So it's not unusual to have a, uh, uh, a, a an English-style lab, um, which is, you know, only 20 inches at the shoulder. Um, and they're much quieter. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, in, uh, the, in the north, especially in Alaska, for example, uh, they wanted bigger, stronger uh, retrievers because the dogs are working in snow and rough terrain and that sort of thing. You don't want a dog, you know, plowing its underside through the snow. Right. And so they started to create, <coughs> pardon me, uh, Labrador retrievers, which are much taller, much larger, uh, some of them up to 26 inches at the shoulder or more. Mm-hmm. And uh, and those particular dogs, uh, you know, they, I mean, they look quite different. I mean, some of them look like Shetland, uh, you know, uh, ponies. Yeah. <coughs> I should not uh, uh, talk so fast with my cold. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, there are also uh, the dogs which are which are uh, 
used in a lot of competition today. And uh, a lot of the retriever uh, people who do retriever trials uh, like their dogs to be a lot lighter, uh, lighter built with a, with a more air under them because that allows them to run faster. Um, and so you'll see a lot of the field competition dogs are, are much more lightly built, although they'll still be about the same size. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then if you look, uh, there's even an obedience uh, line of Labrador retrievers. And these are really high-activity animals. Mm. Um, it seems that having a high uh, level of activity is very important. And just to complicate things one more step, there are some people who who uh, have uh, decided that they want to make the lab the ultimate utility hunting dog. So they're breeding a line of Labrador retrievers that point. So not they not only retrieve, but they point. So these are pointing Labrador retrievers. Mm. Uh, so you know, um, it's not the and, labs of uh, not just the one, not just the one version of the lab anymore. Hmm. No, uh, but you know, you can do this with, with a breed like the lab because the lab right now is and has been for about 30 years the most popular dog in the world. Yep. Well, Dr. Corin, we need to take a quick break, so hold that thought, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. We'll, you're listening to The Dog Talk Show on Alternative Talk 1150. Do you have an injury, old or new, that won't heal? Are you fighting a cold or illness you can't kick? Do you feel like you've tried everything and are still struggling to find wellness and balance in your physical health? Have you been unimpressed with acupuncture in the past? For over a decade, Robert Meduzia has been making a difference for people who thought they had exhausted their options. Don't settle for pain and illness. Call 425-828-6190. That's 425-828-6190. Again, 425-828-6190. The Acupuncture and Sports Clinic of Kirkland. Heal faster, play longer. There's an exciting new astrology hour, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. with Deborah Silverman. Deborah's unique blend of psychology and astrology turns planetary language into plain English. Join us for an interactive hour that's guaranteed to give you personal insights in a fun and entertaining way. Tune in to Deborah Silverman Live. Whatever your life question, marriage, job, family, relocation, or just curiosity, call for a live reading Tuesdays at 5 p.m. And visit Deborah's website at DebraSilvermanAstrology.com. Good afternoon, Seattle, and welcome to the Joper Show. I'm Joe Janot, live on Alternative Talk Radio. If you're going to have the Joper Show, you have to have on the town with Lisa. You know, there is a lot of blogging and Twittering about Seattle Sonics. I think the expansion is coming sooner than we expect. And then at the 2 o'clock hour, man, we're going to talk booze. So we brought in a cool cat from Three Point Production to talk about the event. Talking about a documentary. There's not any documentary. Talk about hip-hop, about the vibe of Seattle and how it sort of progressed. We're talking food, sports, and fun every Friday, 1 to 3, here on Alternative Talk 1150 with The Jopra Show. On the AM band at 1150 and on the FM HD band at 98.9 HD3, Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the Dog Talk Show. You're listening to Alternative Talk 1150 AM. I'm your host, Julie Forbes, and we are back with Dr. Stanley Corin, author of 
The Modern Dog, How Dogs Have Changed People and Society Improved Our Lives. Welcome back, Dr. Corin. Hi there. So uh, we, uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to open up the lines. Um, if anyone has any questions for Dr. Corin, feel free to call in. You can also call in if you'd like a free copy of the book. We have a few books to give away to our listeners. So if you'd like to receive a copy of the book in the mail, give us a call and we'll get your address and send one out to you. The number to call is 425-373-5527. That's 425-373-5527 to receive a free copy of The Modern Dog or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. So you can give us a call and Darcy, our call screener, will get your address and we'll get a book out to you. So thank you, Dr. Corn, for those uh, free copies of books for our listeners today. Mm-hmm. So um, we were talking about the evolution of the gun dog and how that basically changed the breeds of dog changed with the with the technology. And um, there's another um, another part of the book where you talk about or you answer the question, why dogs sniff each other's tails mm-hmm. or areas <laughs> <laughs> and not just other dogs, but people as well. And I think you said any any other any mammal, and it's basically because of pheromones and uh, that they are located in a special kind of sweat gland called apocrine glands, which are highly concentrated in genital areas? Yeah, it, 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 uh, it, around the genital areas. And uh, in human beings, it's in the underarms and in the genital areas. And for the dogs, it's, uh, they have many more apocrine glands sort of scattered over their body, but the, again, the big concentration is, is you know, in that rear area around the tail. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, uh, you've, it's funny because I've has certainly had this experience because I do dog training and behavior consultation here in Seattle. And so when I come to people's houses, when their dogs come up, they often, you know, will sniff my crotch and people are so embarrassed and, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, hey, your dog's just getting information. I, you know, I don't take it, I'm not offended for sure. Yeah, dogs can read a whole lot of information from that sniff. They can read... Uh... Uh, roughly the age of other dogs, whether they're sexually mature or sexually uh, active, um, uh, their health status, um, and there's an awful lot of information there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're saying that they can um, they can tell in females <coughs> if they are menstruating or if they're ovulating or if they're pregnant or if they've just had a baby or if they're lactate. I mean, all this kind of stuff. That's right. And they can even, apparently there's some evidence that dogs can even uh, read sort of, you know, certain aspects of emotional state from that little sniff. Yeah, it it had mentioned something about moods. And then, you know, in, in thinking about dogs that like detect seizures or that detect uh, blood sugar, that... Uh, it. No. Now, there, there it's a little bit more ambiguous. Uh-huh. I mean, our best guess is that uh, it's probably a chemical signal. So when somebody's about to have a seizure, uh, uh, you know, very subtly their scent um, changes. Mm-hmm. But it also could be a, a different kind of a cue. It could be a visual cue because dogs are really the masters at reading body language. And... Um, um, they can uh, pick up uh, very, very subtle cues, uh, which people give off. So 
for example, um, we have trained dogs to be Parkinson's alert dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, Parkinson's people sometimes will have uh, something like a seizure in which basically they, they, the body sort of, you know, freezes up and it's very difficult for them to move. And, and, and dogs start to recognize that right away, and we assume that in that particular case it's, it's from actually watching rather than sniffing. Hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I mean, I can't even conceive of really what dog's sense of smell must be like. It just, I really can't even, can, my brain can't really wrap around it, but they just are so observant. I mean, our cattle dog, like I was telling you, he will watch our faces, especially after he's just gotten into trouble. He'll run away and stop what he's doing and then come right back in and look at us. And like, oh, are you still mad? What, what's your mood now? Um yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they're very good at this, and um, it's one of the reasons why some people, you know, there's lots of stories out of there, people who say, you know, my dog has ESP, you know, and, and you know, I came home and I'd just broken up with my boyfriend or whatever else, and my dog knew it right away. Well, I mean, the dog picks up the way that we walk, uh, mm-hmm. and when we're depressed, you know, our shoulders sort of fold in a little bit, our head droops a little bit, and we move in a different way. And... Um, there are lots of times that that's what the dog is reading. And uh, we've, we've bred dogs to read our signals. I mean, that's one of the, the, the fascinating aspects about, about dogs. If I point to something, um, then uh, the dog recognizes that that's a communication gesture, and he will look in the direction that I point, uh, even if he's a fairly young puppy. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if I have a wolf... And this is even if this wolf has been reared, you know, in my family since he was a pup, mm-hmm. and I point to something, he looks at my hand. Mm-hmm. He doesn't recognize that that's a communication gesture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've been modifying dogs so that they read our human signals, and uh, they do a wonderful job at it. Would you? I've often wondered this because. You know, minimum, I've said this many times on my show, dogs have been living with people for a minimum of 14,000 years. Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, litter after litter after litter, puppy after puppy after puppy, breed more puppies, raising them from puppies, you know, all this happening over so such a long period of time, I wonder how, you know, what the impact is on dogs as a species and how... I mean, not only are they good at reading us, but would you think that it would be accurate to say that they, as a species, are becoming more human-like? No, they're becoming more attentive to humans. Okay. Uh, I, and, uh, you know, a lot of what's been going on for the past 14,000 years has really been sort of seat-of-the-pants behavior genetics, Okay. You've got two dogs, okay? One of them reads your gestures really well, and the other one not so well. So which one do you like better? Well, you like the one who reads you better, and that one gets a little bit better food, gets a little bit better care, and is more likely to be bred. Mm-hmm. And it, and that's the way it works. You know, it's it's sort of you know little bits of uh, little nudges. Um, it, you know, you have a dog who has particular characteristics which you like, you breed it because you hope the puppies will have that particular uh, characteristic. So dogs have been developing a set of characteristics. Um, uh, to sort of uh, fit our needs. One of the most important is obviously, um, you know, the ability to read us and to, and to be able to 
to understand, uh, you know, our gestures and, and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, there are other characteristics also. I mean, uh, like reading our emotional state, uh, like your cattle dog does. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and also, uh, you know, we affect things like activity levels. Uh, you know, a dog who ricochets off of the, the floors, it, it walls and ceilings, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's, that's not a dog you're going to want to breed and, you know... Uh, uh, so our dogs tend to, you know, calm down or increase in activity depending upon what it is which we're, uh, which we're looking for. Right now, the best estimates is that the mind of a dog is roughly equivalent to a mind of a human uh, two-year-old. Uh, and that's sort of the average dog. So he can then understand things like about 165 words, and that includes signs and signals and gestures and that sort of thing. And the super dogs, those are the ones in the top 20% in terms of, of canine intelligence, mm-hmm. are equivalent to about a human two-and-a-half-year-old. So they can understand up around 250 words, signs, signals, that sort of thing. Um, that's that's. That's pretty good uh, by animal standards. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's really quite remarkable. But uh, one of the neat things is that we can get those estimates by taking tests which were originally designed for human beings, mm-hmm. for, you know, for kids with uh, you know, minimal language and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and modifying them for uh, dogs. Well, and, I- that gives the estimate. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, another, you know, 500 years from now, we start finding that the most intelligent breeds are testing more like a three-year-old instead of a two-and-a-half-year-old, and, you know, give it another 10,000 years, if, if, assuming we, we, we survive that long. You know, it's just really interesting to look at the big picture of how dogs as a species are evolving along with us, because I know humans seem to be getting to be higher and higher energy and technology and all this kind of stuff and the dogs have been with us right along right alongside so yeah some people talk about this as a as a coevolution yeah um where uh one species uh evolutionary course is influenced by another mm-hmm. um you know now obviously we're doing most of the influencing yeah uh, but we did see earlier when we were talking about the Neanderthals that, you know, they, they did have, the dog's got a paw in there. Yeah, for sure. Well, Dr. Corin, your book is wonderful. There's so much more to it. And the phone lines lit up when I announced that we were giving away some copies of the book. So we've got some listeners who, who will get receive that book in about a week. And uh, I hope to have you back on the show sometime and we can talk a little bit more about, you know, these questions, can dogs re- can a dog really love and... Um, you know, all the good emotional, all stuff. the good, all the good emotional <laughs> stuff. And uh, thanks so much for for being on the show with us today. It was a real pleasure and and really an honor because your name I've known your name for for over well for fifteen years now in the dog world. So thanks so much. All right, thanks for having me. Okay. You take care. You too. Bye. Oh yeah. So the, that was really just the first. Uh, less than the first hundred pages of the book that we that we touched on today. So let's take our last break, and we'll be back with a few more minutes of the Dog Talk Show. You're listening to Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. 
Coming up in the next segment, we have Dog Talk Show Trivia. However, this is a encore edition, so we can't take any new contestants. Camley Electric Incorporated is a full-service electrical contractor. From simple home repairs to full remodels, new construction, and small commercial projects, our qualified electricians do it all. We pride ourselves on our workmanship and professional standards, delivered with value in mind. Located in historic Ballard, Kemley Electric serves the greater Seattle metropolitan area. Licensed, bonded, and insured. Kemley Electric welcomes all inquiries about your electrical needs. Visit the website kemleyelectric.com. That's K-E-M-L-Y electric.com. Hi, I'm Pat Pauly. Tune into my show, Get Active, each Tuesday at 12 noon on Alternative Talk 1150. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about one of the wonderful activities in the Puget Sound region, ones that you may want to participate in. We'll focus on how adult beginners can comfortably get into all of these activities. You'll learn a lot about how you can get active. Be sure to listen. That's Get Active with me, Pat Pauly, at 12 noon each Tuesday on Alternative Talk. 1150. Conversations Live with Vicki Sinclair discusses issues that are important to you, like good health and well-being, finding a new job and building your business, overcoming life's big challenges and making sense out of chaos, and living with passion and joy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific for Conversations Live with Vicki Sinclair. See conversationslive.net for show schedule and guest information. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's Dog Behavior Training and Nutrition Specialist, www.sensitivedog.com. Negativity and fear, two staples of talk radio. Well, we figured we'd try something different. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the Dog Talk Show. You're listening to Alternative Talk 1150 AM. I'm your host, Julie Forbes. Uh, That was a great interview with Dr. Stanley Corin, author of The Modern Dog, and also author of How Dogs Think and The Intelligence of Dogs. He has been writing wonderful books about dogs for, I know, at least 15 years because I read his books when I was in high school. So, uh, Eric, we haven't done any dog talk show trivia in a while. We haven't. And I've got some wellness pet food gift vouchers that are burning a hole in my pocket that I've just got to get rid of. So, Fantastic. So let's do some trivia. $50 in wellness pet food gift vouchers we've got to give away to the first caller who can... Name a dog breed that begins with the letter D, as in dog. Call 425-373-5527, 425-373-5527, or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-5569. If you can tell me a dog breed that begins with the letter D, that's all you have to do. Then we will send you out $50 in wellness pet food gift vouchers. So those numbers, again, 425-373-5527. That should be an easy one, but I'm telling you, I'm blanking. 
I, I know I'm not eligible to play anyway. It's but not. I, um, I really, I'm blinking on that. It's not. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think D is probably a less lesser of the dog breed. Um, less obvious, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Some of them, there's a whole ton of them. Wow. Oh, <laughs> the phone lines are lighting yeah, up. They so are. We're, we're bound to get some more uh, uh, D breeds than we thought even existed. Out yeah. There. Well, I can think of, I mean, just off the top of my head, I can only think of a few just right off the bat. So, um, so let's take line one. We have Linda on line one. Hi, Linda. Hi. So, do you have a dog breed that begins with the letter D? Dalmatian. Good Doxon. one. Yeah. Got any more? Uh, no, but I have an Australian Blue Healer Shepherd dog. Oh, you do? And I can tell him to uh, go get my hammer and he'll bring it to me. Mm-hmm. Or uh, he'll, if I'm standing outside, I'll say, Luther, pull that weed out and he'll pull it out. <laughs> I mean, he's like a human in a dog suit. <laughs> he's a great dog. Yeah, our cattle dog is like that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's smart, aren't it's they? freaky how smart he is. I yeah, think we think it he's, is freaky. I think we think he's smarter smarter than we are sometimes. I wonder. Yeah. All right. Well, good work. Uh, we're going to send you back to Darcy and get Great. your mailing information. We'll send you out $50 in gift vouchers to Wellness Pet Food. Thanks. I learned a lot listening to your show. I really appreciate it. Good. Thanks for listening. <laughs> you bet. Okay. Thank Bye. Thank you. Boy, is she Johnny on the spot or Linda on the spot? So to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Dalmatian and Dachshund. She said two. Yeah. Now, I wonder if... Are there more? I wonder if line two can give me another dog breed that begins with the letter D other than Dalmatian and Dachshund. So let's talk to Miles on line two. Hi, Miles. Let me get to the letter D. Oh. oh. I was going to say Dachshund as well. Do you have another one that you can think of? Um, I don't. All right. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Well, Miles, we're going to get your uh, mailing address, and we're going to send you some Biddle Love dog treats out for calling in. I appreciate that. I have a Rhodesian Ridgeback, but uh, no D-Dog. All so. right. Well, well, we'll send you out some Biddle Love treats. They're great for training for your Ridgeback. That's great. All right. So just hang on the line, Miles. We're going to send you to Darcy and get your mailing information. Let's see if we can find a third D breed. Yeah, I know I can think of one. So let's uh let's go to Angeli on line four. Hi, Angeli. Hello. So can you tell me a, a D breed other than Dachshund or Dalmatian? I can. I actually both of those were came to the tip of my tongue, but how about a Doberman? Ooh, good one. Doberman Retriever. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, Doberman Retriever. What? <laughs> we were just you're, you're talking about a new breed right there. That's right. That whole show, the whole interview, we're talking about how we're making all these new breeds, yeah. you know, to suit yeah. our needs. Well, Doberman, Doberman Retriever. Retriever. Man, Doberman Pinscher, of course. Um, well, good work, Angeli. And I've actually, I think I've got another $50 in wellness pet food gift vouchers hanging around. So we'll get that out to you. We have a... Uh, Yellow Lab Border Collie mix. It uh, was a uh, rescue dog. Uh-huh. Smart dog, oh. would you say? Very smart, very high energy. Yeah. <laughs> we have a five-year-old and a one-year-old, and the dogs, you know, like two-year-old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three kids, basically. Exactly. Well, thanks so much for listening and for calling in and playing Dog Talk Show Trivia. Uh, we're going to put you on hold and send you back to Darcy and get your mailing information. Okay, great. Thank okay, you. thanks. I love it. So I've got another one. 
Uh, do, we, do we have time? We've got like 90 seconds. All right. Yep. Dandy Dinmont. Oh. That's a double D. Oh, I thought you you had another trivia question. No, no, no. No, no another D breed. Dandy Dinmont? Dandy Dinmont. Dandy Dinmont. Yeah, okay. It's lesser known. Yeah, very very lesser known in my book. Yeah. So I <laughs> wanted to get out a couple of, annou- of announcements, and I do have a dog dedication song this week for Otis, the duck tolling retriever that I was talking about in Vermont. He's my dear friend Matt's dog, who mm. the, the duck toller that brought back the decoy, not the actual duck. <laughs> So we're going to dedicate this show and, and the dedication song to him. So that's it for this week. We'll see you same, same time, same place next week. Thanks for listening to the Dog Talk Show on Alternative Talk 1150. That I've ever seen Got a nose that can smell A two-day trail He's a four-legged tracking machine you can't consider yourself mighty lucky to get past the gators and the quicksand beds. But all these years that I've been here and nobody got past red. Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different proteins to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S.-sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their Burien shop, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your home. Natural Pet Pantry will even work with your vet to custom blend a prescription diet for your pet's unique needs. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. Natural Pet Pantry. It just makes sense. Camly Electric Incorporated is a full-service electrical contractor. From simple home repairs to full remodels, new construction, and small commercial projects, our qualified electricians do it all. We pride ourselves on our workmanship and professional standards, delivered with value in mind. Located in historic Ballard, Kemley Electric serves the greater Seattle metropolitan area. Licensed, bonded, and insured. Kemley Electric welcomes all inquiries about your electrical needs. Visit the website kemleyelectric.com. That's K-E-M-L-Y electric.com. This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog, thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website, www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's dog behavior behavior training and nutrition specialist www.sensitivedog.com do you have an injury old or new that won't heal are you fighting a cold or illness you can't kick do you feel like you've tried everything and are still struggling to find wellness and balance in your physical health have you been unimpressed with acupuncture in the past for over a decade robert meduzia has been making a difference for people who thought they had exhausted their options don't settle for pain and illness Call 425-828-6190. That's 425-828-6190. Again, 425-828-6190. The Acupuncture and Sports Clinic of Kirkland. Heal faster, play longer.